0: All right. What is up, all you good, beautiful, wonderful citizens of Crypt Nation? It's your host, Bryce Paul, and we have a special announcement. Uh, If you guys have been tuning in, you will know that we have the Crypto 2020 Summit that we are hosting. Uh, This is going to be January 29th to January 31st. We got over 60 of the biggest, baddest speakers in crypto presenting on their projections for 2020, what their projects are going to be doing, all sorts of fun forecasts. It's going to really be amazing. And the best part of it all is it's free and it is online. So, go ahead to www.crypto2020summit.com and register for your free ticket. And we hope to see you there. All right. What is up, all you good, wonderful citizens of Crypt Nation? It is your hosts, Bryson Pizza Mind, here dishing you up another episode of Crypto 101. Pizza Mind, how are you doing, brother?
1: You know, I'm feeling a little bit insecure today. I've always wondered, am I a good podcast host? I don't really know. I really just talk to you all the time, and I know you're good. But I feel like we need uh, a different light. Maybe someone we can learn from. Do you have anyone like that that we can bring on the show, show us how it's done?
0: Well, you know, personally, one of my favorite podcasts that you know I listened to years ago when I was just getting in the space was the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. And we are graced with the presence of the host. This is Trace Mayer. Everybody, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks you, too. Uh, quite, quite the brown nosing. <laughs> What's that? A- <laughs> uh, Trace, we love you. We love everything that you've been doing for the industry. You, uh, you've been around for a really long time. you developed a lot of really cool ideas. Um, and so kind of just to kick things off, uh, you know, why'd you originally get into the uh, Bitcoin ecosystem? And, and really, what is the main value proposition of Bitcoin?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, that's an excellent question. Strikes right to the purpose or aim that I'm trying to accomplish. And that's monetary sovereignty. I've been, you know, involved with virtual currencies since uh, middle school, even Uh, when the internet first came out, you know, these online games and I was exposed to virtual currencies and stuff in them. I saw e-gold, I saw PGB encryption, things like LimeWire and BitTorrent come on the scene. and so when i you know and then got involved in gold you know i under, i i did some serious academic research on gold and uh found just the role it plays in our, the checks and balances of the political machinery why it's in the constitution how it protects human rights uh that kind of you know lit me on fire <laughs> which is a lot of fun yeah. and and then i come across bitcoin and it's the intersection of all of this stuff just Perfectly, freedom of speech, encryption, sound money, human rights, distributed networks, censorship resistance, just all of that stuff, uh, enforcing monetary sovereignty. And then you layer that on the back of uh, a platform, the fiat currency fractional reserve banking system that's been totally corrupted and bastardized, that's a burning platform. And yet you have something solid that's a new way to establish trust uh, that's immutable and scarce. And you can transfer value over communications channel. Uh, just the convergence of all this stuff, the timing, my preparation, the opportunity, uh, all of that just, you know, really lined up well. And and that's off and running, you know, chasing the rabbit, as I like to say.
0: Yeah. And just to hit on something real quick that you mentioned the fractional reserve banking system, the Federal Reserve. I mean when this whole, I mean, a lot of people don't really know the history of that, but when this whole, you know, fractional reserve lending came out, the idea was to, uh, you know, keep on, uh, unemployment low and keep inflation low, but also, um, you know, be able to leverage, uh, you know, human capital essentially. And do you think it's something that was, had a noble beginning, um, and that just over time became really corrupt, or do you think from its, you know, get go, it was a terrible idea? And oh, maybe, this its, has, maybe this has to do with, you know, the Austrian economics versus Keynesian economics too. Yeah. I mean,
2: from its get-go, it's uh, born in iniquity. It's a form of fraud. It's a form of lying and stealing and thieving. Uh, you're selling the same thing twice, you know, having multiple claims on a demand deposit. When you only have one of the demand deposit available, you can't meet everybody's withdrawal requests. That's a form of fraud. Uh-huh. That's, uh, you know, that's born in iniquity. And so, uh, you know, and then and then when when people do get a little rattled and they want their asset when they want to prove the keys, right? Because we're going to be talking about proof of keys, oh, big time! Uh, the global industry bank run that I uh, annual bank run that I you know celebration that I started uh, when this when this happened in England and in the you know 1600s, it it posed such a threat. That they put in Isaac Newton as master of the mint to fix the problem when the Bank of England collapsed. And he developed the gold standard uh, out of that. And that laid the foundation for sound money going forward. But, you know, avarice and greed being insatiable, uh, we've just had cycle after cycle of these Ponzi scam operators, uh, also known as bankers. Uh, trying to basically sell the same thing twice, just being engaged in fraud. And and so, you know, it's a lot easier to do wh- when you're not using gold and instead you're using paper that you can just print. And so what do they do? Uh, they can script the politicians in, and now you've got political and monetary elites that are confiscating through inflation, which is a form of taxation without representation or due process of law. They're just printing things out of nothing. You know, why Why do they get to print money, but you don't, right? 100%. Like, like why is it counterfeiting if you print it, but it's not counterfeiting if they print it? Why isn't the money equal to one and all? Gold is. Gold is equal to one and all. You want to go make some more gold? Go dig a hole and find it. You want to make some more dollars or some more euros and you don't have the blessing of like some person in a costume. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to use the euros that they printed out of nothing to hire a bunch of thugs to come and throw you in the pokey. And so they're (laughs) able to use the money and they're able to siphon off like vampires. They're able to siphon off the productive capacity and savings of the populace to then extort and otherwise brutalize the populace. You know, how, how do you think all those thugs in Hong Kong get paid to beat up the protesters? Yeah. They're using the monetary system to fund them. And so w- when we're talking about monetary sovereignty, this is a war that humanity has been fighting and the pendulum swings back and forth, back and forth. It swings between, you know, the fake money and the real money, between sound money and, and this fiat currency. And you get you get false high priests uh, spreading lies and fraud, you know, these Keynesian witch doctors uh, that basically want to because ideas can over, only be overcome by other ideas. And so what do they want to do? They want to spout a bunch of fraud and false ideas in order to keep people confused and in ignorance about how they're being bled dry uh, through the confiscation of this inflation through just printing more stuff out of nothing uh, in order to bail out people who make bad choices. So these bankers get to privatize the gains and socialize the losses. And the same thing with people that are operating, you know, that are making billy clubs for the for the riot police gear. You know, you you get a bunch of special interests built up and they're getting funded because they're able to siphon off the productive value that's been saved uh, by the by the people who actually produce. So, it, you know, this this there was nothing ever noble about fiat currency and fractional reserve banking. It's it's solely been a tool to infringe on human rights, to corrupt the political process uh, and to uh, keep humanity enslaved, enslaved, really. And, you know, that's why gold is called the ancient metal of kings, because it's sovereignty, it's money. It's a protector against uh, the debasement of property rights. Uh, Alan Greenspan wrote a great, a great piece in the 60s, Gold and Economic Freedom.
0: One he of our about, former uh, chairs of the Federal Reserve. Yeah,
2: yeah, chairman of the Federal Reserve for like 18 years, right? Um, he, and he wrote this and he, he talked about how gold stands as a protector of property rights. And that's why the, the welfare states make its holding illegal. You know, that's why all the greatest tyrants throughout history have always tried to conscript and otherwise make illegal the soundest, hardest monetary tools. Oh, well, when executive in,
0: order six sixty-one oh two.
2: Yeah, sixty-one oh two. Franklin D. Roosevelt made it illegal to hold gold for American citizens. When when the American citizens tried to do proof of keys, you know what he did with with Executive Order six one zero two? Yeah, he, he stationed IRS agents at the banks. And when you got the gold out of your safety deposit box, they took the gold and gave you some paper. Jesus. Against your will. Against your will. You know, sound money doesn't rely on guns to get people to accept it, right? And so Franklin Roosevelt made holding gold illegal, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, like they all uh, attacked sound money because it's so powerful in terms of reducing the power of the state because the heart of the state is, is their ability to issue these paper coupons that we use as currency. You know, that's how they, they primarily conscript their resources to fund the third Reich through seizing the gold and the, the, the way that the, the third Reich did that with who they would invade in order to conscript the economic engine mm. uh, of Europe into their, it, to fund concentration camps and all this stuff. Yeah, and that's what Roosevelt did. He seized all the gold. You want to know what one of the next things he did was? What was it's, it? It's the Supreme Court case, uh, United States versus Korematsu. And that's where Franklin Roosevelt rounded up hundreds of thousands of law abiding Japanese American citizens and threw them oh, the in concentration camps the internment camps. Exactly. You know, like what? So, so this, this is how it works. They seize your money and, and take your monetary sovereignty. They take your guns and then they throw you in concentration camps. Like that's how it works. Jesus. And And I know if
1: this is the first podcast that someone's listening to right now, they must be thinking, Oh my God, what are these conspiracy theories? What is this that I tuned into? These are not conspiracy well, theories. These are I mean, provable facts that you can go look up on your own right now.
3: Well, in I fact, we're like, building
1: more camps in the United States right now, in fact. You can check it out for yourself. And it's important yeah. that you keep listening and pay attention to this. Trace, yeah, please I mean, continue.
2: I mean, it's – well, we're, we're talking about human rights. We're talking about um, – I mean, look, look throughout history. Faust Part II, written by Guta, the, arguably the, the highest IQ person ever right? Like this guy had a working vocabulary three times Shakespeare's. And in Faust part two, his magnum opus, he writes about Mephistopheles comes and tells the king and the king's like, well, give me some gold. And Mephistopheles is like, oh, I'll give you some gold and some more. And so, and then it goes through like the, the chancellor and the, and the court and, and the court's like, well, it's not quite right, but I'll make it right you know, so it corrupts the law. When you corrupt the monetary unit, it corrupts the law, of the society. And eventually it ends with the commander in chief. And you know what he says? The commander in chief says, a soldier asks not from whence it proceeds, you know? So so when, when we're talking about infringements on monetary sovereignty, like that's, you know, that's a primary way that we protect human liberty and and sovereignty and and freedom and liberty and all all of these things. And so when you infringe on that, it's only a degree of of steps away from infringing on your right to bear arms, uh, infringing on your freedom of speech, uh, throwing you in concentration camps, uh, exterminating people in concentration camps like Hitler did, you know, because how do you protect yourself against that? Well, you protect yourself be, by by having sound money, where they can't get the resources to fund all of that, right? Yeah, like that's that's why this is important. That's why that, and it's such a defensive form of of, of warfare that you wage by by harnessing the powers granted by sound money, and and so it's you know it's very important. And so Guta wrote about that. You had the French assignot collapse in in the 1780s uh, and nineties, you know, remember, let them eat cake, you know, we oh, heard yeah. that. Well, where'd that come from? Well, she, she, the, the peasants were, were all starving. And she said, let them eat cake. And cake was actually the burned out part in the bottom of the, of the skillet. Right. Oh,
0: like <laughs> and, something's caked on.
2: Yeah. Caked on. And they, and John law, who was whispering in the, in the King's ears, he wanted, you know, he, he had these failed monetary policies, very Keynesian in spirit, and uh, in order to enforce them, because everybody was starving, let them eat cakes. But you know what really started it off is he got the king to make using gold and silver illegal
3: mm. under
2: penalty of death, under penalty of death. And so, you know, you know what happened? That's when they, they, they did the reign of terror. And they drug all the politicians out in France, and they chopped off twenty thousand heads in the guillotine.
0: Yep, was that like they, Louis they, the Thirteenth?
2: Yeah that, that time frame. So they so they make they make holding gold and silver illegal under pain of death. People are already starving. So what do they do? They get rid of the political elites. So fighting over the money is is an extremely contentious political uh, nexus, right?
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, the Continental Dollar. In the United States, you know, that, that's why the, we have the monetary provisions in the in the U.S. Constitution. And that's what happens You when you have a collapse of the currency, you get you get posed with a choice, repression or regeneration. You know, do we have mm. regeneration like the U.S. Constitution and the monetary provisions in there? Or do we have repression like Franklin Roosevelt, like the reign of terror in France? uh, like Venezuela, uh, and countless other places, you know, that's where the critical question gets posed. And so it's, you know, this is, this is not for the faint of heart. And what are you going to do? Just let them keep stealing all your money. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I mean, everybody's protesting, right? Like you got Hong Kong, you got France, you got, you got like, I mean, the number of countries, Chile that are on fire. Iran is closing down the internet. Yeah, Iran. I mean, everybody, it, it seems like the the amount of social unrest and disorder is just huge. And don't get me wrong, like protesting and marching, like that has some effect, right? But in the Civil War movement, what really made the change? What really what really impacted stuff? And it's when Martin Luther King instituted the bus boycotts, because you're now attacking with the money. You're attacking the way the cash flows, right? And that's what really changed stuff. Interesting. Uh, so I never thought about so it from you, that angle. Yeah. So if you want, if you want to, if you want, if you want to change society and you want to change stuff, you can debase the money, fiat money. Guess what? You're going to get fiat food, fiat art, like some banana duct taped to the wall <laughs> instead of the Sistine Chapel. Right. Right. You're going to get fiat families or the lack thereof. Uh, you have sound yeah. money you're going to get because people can save and prepare for the future. The culture that that's going to build, you're going to get sound families. You're going to get sound art. You're going to get sound food instead of this like soylent green that they're feeding everybody. Um, Impossible
0: burgers. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, like, let, let's eat a bunch of crickets. So like, it's that's, a- that's going to raise the standard
0: of living, <laughs> right? It, it, it's um, our food's food. You know, it's like. We should be eating meat and cows and animals and our food should be eating impossible burgers. And that yeah, food should well, be
1: healthy for us like intended. It shouldn't be full of all kinds of chemicals and stuff that's going to make us sick and give us cancer on purpose.
2: Well, yeah. And that's what you get. Like when, when you have fiat money, you get fiat food. Yep. You know, cheap, and cheap money, and cheap food, cheap money, cheap food. You know, as my dad likes to say, is like, I, I, I'm i a second generation vegetarian. <laughs> 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 I, I, I eat animals that eat vegetables. <laughs> and so, you know, th- this, this idea that like, you know, we're, the money impacts every aspect of society. And it's like the, you know, you have to have sound money if you're going to have a sound society. And if you think that you're going to be able to have national security by having a weak currency and not having monetary sovereignty for your citizens, how are you going to perform economic calculation? Right. That's why the Chinese and the, that's why the Russian system collapsed. They couldn't perform economic calculation. Uh, that's why the Chinese are, you know, they've got themselves in a real pickle. Uh, you know, 1.5 billion, 4 billion people, uh, massive state owned enterprises, a whole bunch of shadow debt, um, wasting wealth on a massive way and, and having tons of protests. You know, past China is out in the rural area, Beijing's current China. You want to know what China looks like in the future? Hong Kong. Mm. Hong Kong is future China. And so what's China look like over the next 10, 20, 30 years? A bunch of massive social unrest and civil war and probably tens of millions of people dying. That's what that's future China. And it's because their monetary system is so corrupted. And, and, and as a result, their political and bureau- bureaucratic state is so corrupted, they're not able to perform economic calculation. And so they misallocate and waste a bunch of their resources and, and distribute it to, to political
0: elites. Could you talk about what economic calculation is and, and why it's being uh, distorted and you know maybe how Bitcoin could come in as a stable unit of account?
2: Yeah, so the fundamental difference between like, Austrian school of economics and pretty much all the other political dogma out there is Austrian economics starts from the premise that individuals act deliberately to bring about some ends. So it acknowledges the sovereignty of the individual in making freedom of choice. Right. And and that's just an, that's part of nature. And if you abuse nature, you're going to pay the price. And so when people are making choices that when, when they're, when they're making choices in freedom, then, and they begin to interact with other, other people who are making choices and those people are interacting in freedom, uh, then, then each are better off or, or at least think they're going to be better off from interacting with each other. So I trade you some eggs and you trade me some bacon, right? Uh, we we both, I value the bacon more than the eggs. You value the eggs more than the bacon. When we trade, we're better off because we value what we got more than what we gave up. You know, and that's, and that's economic calculation is you begin getting a whole pricing structure and, and capital deployment and production and all of these types of things, entrepreneurs. You get, you get all of this buildup uh, that harnesses the human action. Uh, of people making choices to bring about some ends now when when you introduce force or coercion into that those those relationships, you know if a robber like points at me and says give me give me the eggs or your life, well of course I'm going to give them the eggs, right? but I'm not better off from having had the interaction. I'm worse off, and I wouldn't have made the choice if there weren't the compulsion. Right. And and so when you introduce the, the violence into the 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 economy, you begin getting distortions of uh, pricing signals. You know, and, and that economic calculation is how we give pricing signals out in order to get get signals on what goods and services need to be produced. Right. Well, well, well the government is an instrument of violence. That, that's all it is. It's a bunch of people in costumes running around like pointing guns at people and and forcing them to do stuff. Uh, and so the people that are being infringed upon, they're not better off as a result of the interaction. And and so you get a whole bunch of changes in how people behave and, and it distorts this economic calculation. And as a result, the consumer uh, is worse off. Because you get a bunch of productive resources that, that get wasted by people uh, having to to make these course corrections uh, to compensate for you know the 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 non voluntary uh, like coercion that they're having to deal with. Does that help explain like economic calculation? So yeah, it's, absolutely. It's how we get pricing signals on what the consumer wants. Do we want Starbucks or do we want Home Depot? Do we want FedEx or do we want the Postal Service? Well, if we just use guns to, to put FedEx and UPS and all the other alternate providers of shipping and mailing services out of business and force people to use the Postal Service, like you're not better off but because of that, right? Like you're worse off. Right. And And then when the Postal Service has a monopoly and that monopoly is being enforced by violence, you're going to get a lower and lower quality of service for a higher and higher cost. And so when you look at like equity and justice services, for example, or protection of property services, which is what governments, that's supposed to be why they're around, right? With the social contract. Um, well, they got a monopoly. And and of course, like any monopoly, they've been abusing that. And, and the cost has been getting high enough and the quality of good or service that they're selling low enough that it's resulting in tension. And that's why you're getting Yo vest protests in France and Hong Kong and like all these protests everywhere, because people are being forced to buy goods and services that they either don't want to buy or that are just a bad deal. They're, they're not a very good, like you, you could otherwise get a better deal on that, but you're forced to buy them. And, and so people are like, well, I don't, I don't want to buy those. And now they're not wanting to buy them to the degree that they're starting to engage in, uh, protests and stuff like that. So that's where, you know, economic calculation comes into all of this. And when you're, the more bureaucracy that's involved, uh, the, the less accurate the economic calculation, uh, is in that, in that economy and then the less wealth is generated and produced and the less productive everybody is and the less goods and services everybody has. That's why people are poor.
0: eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform every year. And they're some of our good friends and they're a great sponsor. US customers can trade the most popular crypto assets and your fees are extremely transparent. So if you're not ready to trade yet, Uh, You could also practice building your portfolio with the eToro virtual trading feature. They give you $100,000 of virtual money and you could start playing around with it and not have to risk any of your real money before you get comfortable with the markets. And best of all, you can connect with 12 million other eToro traders around the world, kind of like a social network for trading, to discuss charts and all things crypto. So go ahead, create an account today at etoro.com slash crypto 101. That helps us, that helps you, that helps them and makes everything possible here if you guys use that link. So guys, start building your portfolio the smart way. Etoro is crypto trading made easy. All right, back to the show.
1: So in your mind, what makes Bitcoin a good sovereign money? And is it still like, is it, is it, can it be used as digital cash or digital gold or can it be both?
2: Oh, I, I mean, it definitely can be both. I laid out the seven network effect thesis for Bitcoin years ago. Uh, digital gold's the first uh, primordial uh, use case, you know, speculation. Uh, then you've got merchants, consumers that are using it because uh, people are holding it. Uh, then you got miners who are securing it. Then you got developers, and I would add like accountants, regulators, lawyers, uh, legislators. That's the fifth network effect. Uh, sixth network effect is financialization. Uh, and then seventh is World Reserve Settlement Currency. And so Bitcoin is doing all of these at the same time. And so that first network effect is the digital gold. But the second and third network effects, that's more the, the digital cash, right? And, but Bitcoin, you get to do all of it. You know, It's just a matter of transaction fee. Uh, but then because it's extensible, you can build additional layers like Lightning Network. And, and you can have a lot lower fees, uh, both in time and money and privacy on these on these additional layers. And so what makes Bitcoin so powerful is that it's censorship resistant and it's got the highest stock to flow ratio. Not yet, but, you know, next year it's going to be close to gold. And then after the next happening, four years later, it's going to be even harder money than gold uh, that the world has never seen anything like that before. Uh, that, you know, it'll be the, the the most powerful, like, monetary technology the world's ever seen. It'll have the highest stock to flow ratio of anything out there. Um, and so that, you know, it's Bitcoin as a protocol is how we're establishing trust. It's a new way to establish trust. We can use it uh, to store value. Uh, we can use it to transfer value. The censorship resistant decentralized properties of it enable us to secure protection of our wealth at a much lower cost than anything else out there. And, you know, initiatives like proof of keys, this is one of the reasons I started it, is I want to enhance the decentralized censorship resistant characteristics of Bitcoin. Well, how can we do that? More people running their own full nodes, doing full consensus validation, and people holding their own private keys which are the two, you know, the two things to do uh, to participate in proof of keys. And so.
4: Hey, guys, TiVo here to tell you about the UFi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera and a doorbell all in one. That's E-U-F-Y, video lock, or visit Ufeofficial.com/ slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y, video lock. Eufy Video Lock, get complete control over your front door.
3: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
4: Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
2: What that does is people get to claim and enforce their monetary sovereignty. You know, like, why go out and protest on the streets in Hong Kong or France or wherever? Just vote no confidence in their system and demand possession of
0: your private keys. Right. And so proof of keys day for, for anybody who's who wants to participate, really all you have to do is withdraw your coins uh, from any, you know, custodial app, maybe whether it's Coinbase or uh, some custodial wallet or whether it's an exchange that holds your private keys and withdraw them to your own uh, non-custodial wallet. And is there any, what else could we talk about on the proof of keys?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the main
0: gist of it, you know,
2: is just bring all the keys home. To you, (laughs) you know, you be the king, you be the queen, you have the sovereignty, you know, in computer architecture, you've got the server and the, and the, and the, uh, the slave computer. Like you, you be the master, not Mm -hmm. the slave. You run the full node. You hold the private keys. Don't trust someone else's full node. Don't let someone else hold the private keys. You know, it's, it's really like, are you going to be a first class Bitcoin citizen or are you going to be a slave? And what and day is everybody doing this? This is January third. It's when Satoshi released Bitcoin in two thousand nine. This is an annual celebration that everybody gets to participate in, and we get to raise the awareness of it. We get to, you know, help teach new people about this and why it's important and how to do it, and uh, and and all of that.
0: So it's it's like Christmas. You know, this is,
2: yeah, it's like Christmas. We get to we get to give everybody a gift of knowledge and uh, understanding, and. Uh, yeah, so it's you know that's how we do it. and we any third party say you've got bitcoins with one of these lending services like BlockFi or Celsius or whatever, withdraw it out, you know, withdraw it out of the exchanges, withdraw yep. it out of of anywhere, uh, run your own full node. you know Bitcoin core is what I'd recommend hold your own private keys. I like the armory wallet. Yep. Um, you know like take take this serious, you know you're going to war. Uh, you're going to war over the money. And and everybody who 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 gets some of their, who's holding their own private keys and running their own full node, they're on the battlefield and they're inflicting casualties, you know, on the other side yeah, because you're claiming the, your monetary sovereignty.
1: And the casualties are corrupt exchanges or custodians that are not actually keeping the crypto that's deposited in their one-to-one. And yeah, it's if they're important- like for
0: lending out fractional reserves or if they're insolvent.
1: Yeah, it's important or- to get any bad actors out of this industry, and everyone should participate in Proof of Keys Day if you don't already hold all your crypto in your own uh, control. Yeah,
2: I mean definitely. I mean this is a very individual thing because you're you know you're just proving it to yourself, and you're it's you know you train you know you train uh, and hopefully never have to use it. Right? Uh, it's kind of like insurance. So it's a very individual thing. But at the same time, last year Quadriga CX failed. You know, lost a couple hundred million dollars of customers' coins. They failed, like, about a month after after I announced Proof of Keys. And Cryptopia failed, you know, went into uh, receivership with yeah. the trustee. You know, th- those are two two exchanges that failed last year from Proof of Keys. Um, and, and Peter McCormick, who hosts the, the What Bitcoin Did podcast, he, he credits me with saving in Bitcoin because, you know… Another aspect of this is you go through and you look at all your accounts and and you just go pick up all the bitcoin that's in the couch cushions, right? That you might have forgotten <laughs> about. Yeah. And and he he had a half of Bitcoin at Cryptopia that he he had forgotten about. And because wow. of proof of keys, he withdrew that half of Bitcoin. And then a a short time later, Cryptopia failed. So he would have one, he would have totally forgot he even had that half of Bitcoin at Cryptopia. And even if he had remembered it later. It would have been lost because Cryptopia failed, you know. So if you're just if you're just going through once a year and just bringing all the keys home uh, from any of these third parties, like that's a you know you if you don't do that on a regular basis, you might just forget about coins that you might have somewhere, you know. Yeah. And half a bitcoin, like you know, it seventy no five hundred dollar bitcoin, that's thirty seven hundred dollars, right? But like, what happens if Bitcoin goes to a hundred grand based on Plan B's stock-to-flow model? Yeah, you know, and two years later, like that half of Bitcoin is now like fifty grand, right? Or maybe it's a maybe it's maybe that half of Bitcoin is going to be like a hundred hundred and twenty-five grand. Yeah, um, you know, that's a Porsche Cayenne that you just left <laughs> on somebody's exchange because you are you are either ignorant or lazy and didn't want to participate in proof of keys. Well, guess what? Like having monetary sovereignty is a consequence. And you have to dig, you know, you got to dig and you got to plant the seed and you got to water and you've got to give it fertilizer. The consequence is a flower. So right. you've got to put in the work. You got to put in the work to claim your monetary sovereignty. You know, you, if you want it, come and claim it. Like, And that's the beauty. Anybody can claim it. It's so easy. The cost, The cost to do so, Bitcoin has driven that cost down to basically nothing. You know, before you, you had to do all types of crazy stuff with gold and you didn't even get a very good, you know, you got a good monetary sovereignty product for the time and the age. But we're now in the digital and the information age and, and we're able to get monetary sovereignty at such a lower cost now with Bitcoin. And so if you don't avail yourself of it, like you really have no one to blame but yourself if, if things go, go sadly or poorly for you.
0: Yeah, and and, you know beyond beyond sovereign uh, monetary sovereignty, I know that's you know the biggest uh, you know thing that we like to talk about. But you've also developed uh, the mayor multiple, and I kind of want to dive into your thought process behind developing this calculation. And you know where are we currently in relation to that, and you know generally where are we at in the market cycle?
2: Yeah, so so this is where you take the current price divided by the two hundred day moving average. And you get a multiple, and it's currently like 0.77, I think. I didn't name it, by the way. Preston at the Bitcoin Investor at the Investors Podcast—he's the one who named it. Um, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that.
1: <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I mean, uh, whatever—it's out there now, right? Um, and what it does is it filters out all the daily noise because you're using that 200-day moving average, and you're able to see like where where an asset or where the price ratio between two things is expensive and where it's cheap. And at like 0.77, it's actually kind of cheap. Bitcoin's kind of cheap right now um, when it's at 3.7 or 8.5. You know, those are the previous bubbles, like when it ran up to 20,000 or when it ran up to 1300, those were, those were, you know, up past outside of three standard deviations. So you're able to, you're looking, you're able to see like how probable uh, is it that you're going to have a return to the mean on that 200 day moving average uh, relationship. And so that's, that's, I really like it because it filters out all the daily noise uh, you can use it to take advantage of timing your entries or your exits. Uh, cause you know, you might have reasons to buy or to sell Bitcoin at different times. Like maybe you need to pay off student debt, or maybe you need to buy Bitcoin cause you got a bonus. Right. Well, you want to buy it when it's cheap and you want to sell it when it's expensive and you can use that Mare multiple, uh, as a, to help you somewhat time, uh, those, those different actions, um. You know, I mean, it's, it, it helps put the statistics and the probabilities in your favor. Uh, I mean, I use a lot of other tools in addition to that one. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just a nice, helpful tool to help you understand, like, where are we currently at um, based on standard, standard deviations and probabilities.
1: What are the main factors that influence the price of Bitcoin? I mean, someone listening for the first time might think, well, if Bitcoin is like digital gold, why isn't it price the same as gold? And the answer is there's so many other factors because it's its own separate market. But what are some of the main factors in your mind that influence the price?
2: Oh, man, there's it's the Bitcoin markets kind of like a dog on LSD chasing a rabbit. <laughs> um, best
1: description I've ever heard.
2: I mean, like anybody who's gonna going to try and predict what the price is going to be, uh, in the short term, uh, good luck with that, man. Like my crystal ball is not that clear. Um, but it it's all individual subjective value theory. It's all individual action and human action and individual choices. And people can be very fickle and they can buy and sell for a large, large variety of reasons. Uh, and so, you know, and then you start adding in all of the different leverage that the system has, you know, with these Uh, 100x like futures. And uh, I I mean, and and you got paper Bitcoin out there, and you've got insolvent exchanges, and you've got uh, people getting tax refund bonuses or whatever. I mean, there's just a whole lot of reasons why the price can be all over the place all the time. And we're talking about millions and millions of people making choices, you know, so uh, this is a huge, huge industry now. And I, I don't think there's a, any really easy way to figure out like where that price is going to go in the short term. Um, in the long term, I think my the network effects thesis is very compelling. I really like uh, uh his book, The Bitcoin Standard on laying out the case. You know, that those are our great fundamental uh, arguments. And then plan B's model for Bitcoin scarcity and the mayor multiple that helps us uh with timing uh you know the price a little bit better, seeing where uh where we should go. Cause you know, the we there's not really a very good pricing model for Bitcoin out there. And plan B's thing is, I mean, it's co-integrated. That's very serious business and statistics. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, having multiple variables and one variable. Having a relationship to the other variables, price, and so you know, I think that's that has to be looked at when you're trying to time pricing of Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, if you guys want to go uh, check out Plan B's uh, work, I mean, I think on Twitter he's at hundred trillion USD, or if you just Google Bitcoin Plan B, I, I'm sure you guys will find him. He's he's definitely an author and a a, a analyst that I uh, definitely read every day. Um, and Trace, kind of from your vantage point, um, are you seeing like we always talk about oh, you know, institutional money, institutional money, but have you actually seen institutional money enter the market or are the regulations really not, you know, conducive yet to to institutional money coming in the market?
2: Uh, I mean, it's slowly coming in, you know, we look at the volumes on backed, for example, you know, because I think that's pretty much institutional only money. And they're trading fifteen hundred bitcoins a day on their oh. On their monthly futures contract, uh, at least, uh, and then we're going to have options and uh, other derivatives. Um, but you know, all of this has to move its way through investment committees, and and I mean, it's it's not a overnight process. Uh, and you know, having worked on a lot of this legislation in Wyoming with Caitlin and the other rock stars over there, it's a uh, there's a lot that has to be done in that fifth network effect of developers and other professionals, you know, accountants, lawyers, regulators, legislators, and we've just barely begun getting that done in Wyoming, you know, like defining the property rights, for example. I mean, how how can you invest in something as a pension fund when we don't even have property rights legislation to say that it's property? Like how can you be a reasonably prudent pension Fund manager, right, and and move money into an asset uh, class that way. So there, there's a lot that has to be done uh, in order for institutional money to to come into the space. And it's all getting done though. You know, you've got you've got a lot of these large institutional players working on this, and legislators writing the laws, and banking commissioners that now have a special purpose depository bank that can custody digital assets. The digital assets are defined in law with certain property rights. You know, it's the work's getting done. Um, maybe not as fast as we would want it to, but there's a lot. There's a lot that has to be done in order to integrate uh, this new form of digital property into uh, society, you know, in, ter- in terms of all the legislation that is kind of the, the legal code that that runs society. Uh so you know it's happening, but because that's slow, it, it gives the individuals a lot of opportunity to continue buying and acquiring uh before the big the big money starts moving into the space.
1: Speaking of regulations, uh pretty pretty much every exchange now blocks US citizens other than the exchange that are here in the US already, like Kraken or Coinbase or Gemini for that matter what do you think needs to happen in terms of regulations in order for us to be able to use all kinds of different exchanges again? Are these federal regulations or state by state or both?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's another political question, right? And it's not just Bitcoin exchanges, but FACTA and the FBAR, you know, that a lot of these offshore service providers, it's just way too costly to, to service U.S. customers um, with offshore bank accounts and stuff like that. And and so that's another you know that's another thing that's just kind of happened, and I think some of these exchanges they don't service u s customers because the u s customers just aren't very profitable to service, and so you know we we need more rational law coming out of d c but good luck with that um, right and so then you know it might the 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 option might be to use the unregulated exchanges, you know, but <laughs> if there's a reason they're not they're not regulated. I mean, uh, they might not necessarily want to be very honest or or respecting of property rights. So you know, it's a there's definitely a catch twenty two there. Um, and so you know, just be careful <laughs> with with who you're using and how you're using them and how much you trust with them at any particular time. Uh, and this is still very much the wild west, so you know there. You've got to you got to strike a balance between all of that, uh, based on your own personal risk tolerances.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So in May twenty twenty, we're expecting the Bitcoin mining reward to be cut in half. Uh, what can we expect leading up to that, as far as you know, price or news movements, and what's really, I guess going to happen after because a lot of people think that's going to kick off the next bull run but historically it hasn't come till much later what are you seeing
2: yeah i mean i my crystal balls uh you know it's not necessarily 100 percent clear either um i look at you know the the fundamentals and when you have that cut in supply uh if demand remains the same then uh, price has to go up. Right. And the transactional demand for Bitcoin doesn't really care what the price is. Right. Um, cause it's using it just to transfer value. It's not using, and, and what it cares about is the cost of the transaction fee, not the cost of the Bitcoin. Um, and prices are set at the margins. So that's one reason I think we get these big booms and busts is because, um, when we have any type of large, uh, shock to the tra- to transactional supply of Bitcoin, uh, the market has to readjust. And it takes usually a few months for that to happen. Uh, like when the Silk Road coins got seized, for example, uh, price went down a bunch. And the next thing you know, price is up like 20x, right? Um, all the halvenings, we've seen big price moves a little bit after the halvings. Uh So I would not be surprised to see the next bull market kick off, um, you know, and and plan B is stock to flow model. One way that it'll be falsified is if Bitcoin does not hit one hundred thousand dollars by December 31st, 2021. And so I'm kind of looking at that model, looking at the co-integrated data and yeah, that kind of looks like it could work for me, you know. I like that. By, by the end of twenty twenty one, maybe even a little bit more, you know, a hundred to two hundred and fifty grand might be the the price range that it could end up hitting, topping out at. And I do that, uh, you know, looking at some of the previous runs, the the mayor multiples during those, extrapolating out whether where the mayor multiple might be around these time frames, uh, all of that stuff. So one one thing is, you know, Warren, Warren Buffett and other people they've said that, you know, you uh, the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent.
0: Yeah, I love that quote. Well,
2: you know, and and that quote it does have its uh, it does have some truth to it. But if you're a hodler of last resort, if you're the person that buys the equity based asset and then takes possession of the private keys, guess what? You don't have any costs. Hodl, You can, you can huddle forever. Right. 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 Well, like nobody can shake you out of those Bitcoins. Doesn't matter what happens because you've got the private keys and you're running your own full node. You're the sovereign. Right. Right. And so, so, you know, if you're a hodler of last resort, that's a, uh, you know, you can just wait, you can just wait. And and what are you waiting for? For that stock-to-flow ratio to keep increasing. <laughs> that's what you're waiting for. Um, and and as that stock-to-flow ratio keeps increasing, those Bitcoins keep getting more and more scarce. And they're provably scarce. And And meanwhile, we have all the technological advancement that's going on, because we have so many people in this industry working on stuff and creating value and writing code and merging pull requests and doing interviews and blah, blah, blah. You know, so, so, you know, if you're, if you're a hodler of last resort, you just want to buy Bitcoin as cheap as you can and then just hodl. Um, and, and stuff will kind of play out in its own time the way, the way it should. Um, and, and so I'm, you know, I'm not over, that's one reason I use the mayor multiple to filter out the daily noise, because you know sometimes I go a week without even checking the Bitcoin price, you know, because there's other things to do in life, right? And uh, and so you know you have to get control over your emotions and control over what you're doing and and how you think and control over your thoughts. That way, you know, I've seen some of these tweets. People bought Bitcoin at a dollar, they sold it at two dollars and fifty cents. They think they're really smart. <laughs> Whoops. You know, why didn't they sell it at $20,000 or $250,000 or maybe even a million dollars? You know, because that's where stock to flow model from plan B puts it in uh, sometime during this 2020s decade. Uh, So, you know, just being a just being a hodler and having your monetary sovereignty. uh, I think that's, you know, that works for me. Everybody's got their own their own uh, things they want to accomplish. But that works for
1: me. Very well said. Trace, thank you so much for coming on the show and dropping so much information on us. There's just a couple more things we want to ask you before uh, we let you take off. You've been around for a long time. I mean, you're a guy who's super knowledgeable. Who's one person you admire in the crypto space that you know is a really good, trusted source of progress?
2: Yeah, I mean, boy, have I been around for a while. I first started publicly talking about it with less than a $1 million market cap.
0: I mean, wow. that's crazy to think <laughs> about,
2: right? Um, yeah, we have so many like really high quality uh, signal versus noise uh, type of providers. Greg mm. Maxwell, Matt Corallo, Peter Wola, uh, Luke Jr., um, Wadimir you know, Wumpus. Um, let's see, who else we got? Alex Morcos, Sue Haas. Uh, you know, these are a lot of people... Uh, that are in the actual technical and development, uh, area, you know, building Bitcoin. Um, then we've got, you know, we've got a lot of other, other friends and, and, and colleagues of mine, you know, whether it's Andreas, like I just wrote a review for his new book, uh, that he published a couple of days ago on Amazon, uh, the internet of money volume three. So you got, and yeah, yeah, that one came out. So, you know, you got Andreas. I real, I mentioned Saipadin and Plan B several times. Um, Stephen Libera, you know, another good Austrian economics thinker, um, has a podcast. I mean, we just Mar- Marty Bent. Uh, he, you know, we we got so many options out there. Uh, we we have a lot of really good, high quality people in the Bitcoin space that I'm proud to be colleagues with in this war for monetary sovereignty. Uh, you know, because what else could we be doing that's like more important than changing the money of the world? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a a huge job to to be engaged in and we need a lot of people in order to, to accomplish that.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of these great people that you mentioned, you know, they might get drowned out by some of the noise on crypto Twitter or something. And I'm really glad that you mentioned all those names. So people listening have a chance to really look up some good people that are Really doing a lot. You can do your homework on all their contributions and see wow, this really is an amazing place to be. And you're in the right place.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've got, you just add a few more. We got Francis Pollet, we got Vortex, we got uh, Jack Maulers, Eric Lombroso, um, Gosh, Pierre Rochard, Dan Held, Michael Goldstein, Mm. Adam Back, uh, Charlie Lee, uh, Jimmy Song, Max Kaiser. You know, I mean so the so many goes friends on. of so many friends of mine in this space, Turda Meester, uh Roast Beef, who's working on Lightning, uh Nick Zabo, how could we forget like Nick Zabo? <laughs> um Rodolfo, Novak, you know, over with Cold Card. And uh I mean we just we got so many amazing people in this space, uh doing all doing hard work, you know, and it, it like it takes yeah, a inspiring. lot of hands. Yeah. It takes a lot of hands to lift it, you know, and, and then we've got all the users and all the, you know, the silent majority that's there that like really energizes those of us that are in this battlefield of ideas too. So, um, you know, this is, this is a massive war that we're fighting, uh, proof of keys, you know, proof of com. figure out how to hold your own private keys, run your own full node, join us on the battlefield.
0: Absolutely. And Trace, you know, one of the other questions that we like to ask everybody who comes on the show is, you know, what is one company uh that you see that is just doing tremendous work that is probably having the the largest impact on the space? If you just had to narrow it down to one company.
2: Oh, well, I mean, I'm an early investor in Kraken.
0: The
3: okay. mighty
2: Kraken. The mighty Kraken's crushing it, you know. Um, only major exchange that hasn't been hacked. Uh just, you know, consistently at the top on security related, uh, you know, surveys and stuff like that, because um, it's a it's a hard job, like helping people get across this massive gulf from fiat currency, fractional reserve banking to sound money like that's a that's a really big gulf to help get people across. It's almost like Moses parting the Red Sea. Um, I mean, you got regulators fighting against you, threatening to throw you in jail. You got uh, all the technical considerations. You got the hackers. Of course, the hackers want to steal your crypto, especially your Bitcoin, because it's the most valuable thing and easy to steal and it's not reversible. So, I mean, like for a company to survive, you know, and Kraken was founded in 2011 uh, to survive in this space, it really has to be fit for purpose and be doing good work yeah. and have been around a long time. And so of course I'm going to be, be biased and point at the mighty Kraken <laughs> as
0: uh kicking butts and taking names. Right. And, and they're, they're okay with, uh, the proof of keys day.
2: Yeah. I talked to Jesse about it. Uh, he, I mean, it's already, you know, he's talked about it multiple times publicly that don't keep any money on Kraken, uh, that you aren't trading with yeah you know like it's just a cost for cracking they don't make any money because they're not lending it out or fractional reserving or stuff right. like that uh or at least that's their story and they're sticking to it um you know and i don't have any inside information on that on that particular uh point so you know take take it for what it's worth but um but you've you know, he he's also a supporter of proof of keys and Kraken definitely has the Bitcoin ethos of monetary sovereignty and holding your own private keys and stuff like that, uh, insecurity and, and just being adversarially minded to protect yourself against the hackers and stuff like that. Yeah. So Jesse's, you know, Jesse's publicly and privately told me about his support for proof of keys and uh, and it already aligns with a lot of the public statements that he's made. And last year, we didn't have any problems at Kraken. We had problems at other exchanges like HitBTC and Bitfinex and uh, Cryptopia and Quadriga CX. But nobody, I didn't I didn't see any tweets from anybody having problems at Kraken. So, um, yeah, so there, you know, that's kind of my, my thoughts on that, a little biased, but You know, what do you expect, right? You can't do due diligence on everybody.
0: Well, hey, Trace, I mean, that was wonderful. And we really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, One of the most informative and dense episodes that I think we've ever recorded. So, um, you know, without further ado, we'll wrap it up. And we really appreciate your time today, Trace. Well, thanks so much for having me and keep up the good work. Crypt Nation, just a friendly neighborhood reminder to go to www.crypto2020summit.com and register for your free conference pass to the online summit, Crypto 2020 Summit. We got 60 speakers who are giving their bold predictions for prices and bold predictions for uh, technological developments in this crazy crypto space. So if you want to be the first to know the big news and you want to make sure that you're in touch and in tune, go to crypto2020summit.com right now and register for free.